Stanford University. Thank you, and I'm delighted to be here this evening. So my topic is hand arthritis, and because it's surgery-centric and I'm a hand surgeon, I'm mostly going to emphasize things that uh, may come to surgery. And at the Q&A, if you have other questions about arthritis, if we have time, I'll be happy to address them. But the format, as I understand it, I'm going to give a presentation, just kind of an overview. And I'm sure this is a sophisticated audience. There'll be some... Um, Oh, kind of some anatomy and what we do in surgery and, and what you can do to make your life easier. That's the overview and then question and answer at the end. So I'll go ahead and begin. So when do I need surgery? Typically loss of function, pain and deformity. So I've given the whole talk so you can leave. <laughs> so the overview, I'm going to talk briefly about what is arthritis, who gets it and what joints in particular. I'm obviously talking about the hand, not the hip and the back, but those are certainly other joints that can be involved. How can I make it better? And what's new and what's the future? What's on the horizon? So arthritis technically is a term meaning for inflammation of the joints. So that's just a really general term. But in general, we think of it as wearing down of the cartilage. And the cartilage is the kind of nice Teflon that uh, coats the joints and makes them move so smoothly. And the majority of the arthritis that I'm going to talk about and that most of the people in this room get is osteoarthritis. Osteo means bone and arthritis is inflammation of the joints. We sometimes call this wear and tear arthritis, which, you know, if you're lucky enough, we all get it uh, because we live long enough. Um, it is the most common. Now, a very different type of arthritis is inflammatory arthritis, such as rheumatoid arthritis or psoriatic arthritis. And those are a different process altogether where there is basically a reaction of the body that um, treats the body like it's a, um, something foreign and wants to get rid of the joint and gets rid of the cartilage. So it tends to be more systemic in nature and more profound in the requirements of treatment and rehabilitation. So I'm not going to talk about inflammatory arthritis. I certainly do treat it, because, but because that's so far less common than osteoarthritis, uh, that's what I'm going to focus on tonight, and rheumatoid arthritis being the most common. So the picture on the top actually is a pretty typical pattern of, uh, in this case a woman, of pretty advanced age who has slight deformities of her fingers, probably worked pretty well, and, and when it first presented was inflamed and painful and kind of burns out with time. That, that is the common arthritis that I'm talking about. And, you know, hands are certainly a very important tool. Um, in general, um, if they don't look right, they don't work so right, but this is probably one of the exceptions for the fingertips. When we do get arthritis, they still tend to work pretty well. The lower one is a picture of a woman with rheumatoid arthritis, and there's a very different pattern of um, deformity. The, the fingers drift off to the side, and the joints here are quite swollen. That's not typical of osteoarthritis, wear and tear arthritis. This is an unusual joint to get arthritis in. The exception to that is someone who's had trauma to this knuckle. And then you get what we call post-traumatic arthritis. It's still a form of osteoarthritis. It's just accelerated because the joint no longer has the right lineup. Well, as I mentioned, everyone will get some form of arthritis. Anybody over the age of 40 has some element of osteoarthritis, whether it's symptomatic or not. And uh, the base of the thumb is the most common arthritis that requires treatment from a hand surgeon. So the vast majority of my talk tonight is going to talk about base of the thumb arthritis. Women in general tend to get it more so than men. Caucasian uh, far and away more than other ethnic groups, but second to that is Asian, certainly something that we see in this area. 
Um, men, maybe about four times men to women, but there are spikes in certain categories. Uh, people who do fine, manipulative, forceful work of their hands. Uh, dentists, dental hygienists, surgeons. Um, people who use power tools with grasping. Sometimes it's the dominant hand and sometimes there's a predominance of the non-dominant hand because that's the one that often is stabilizing to do activity. So uh, base of the thumb is, is perhaps the biggest concentration that I'm going to talk about. And this is again a picture of osteoarthritis. Um, somewhere along the way you were told how special the thumb was. And I'll review that. I'm fascinated with this subject. My, one of my favorite uh, research and hobby interests is evolution and how the thumb evolved is a great story and it's an ongoing one. Uh, the picture on the left actually is an engraving I bought many years ago. Um, it's about 300 years old and it <laughs> took me 20 years to afford the um, archiving because you have to do that pretty well. It's been sitting in a tube. But the, uh, it's an anatomist who drew this uh, base of the thumb. This is looking at a right thumb. And this is the base of the thumb that we're talking about. This is the trapezium bone. This is the metacarpal. This is the scaphoid bone. And this is the real post to the thumb. The thumb has one less bone than the fingers. And that's part of its uniqueness. It rotates away from the hand about 90 degrees. It has the ability to reach across to the thumb. We call that opposition. It has the ability to extend out of the plane of the hand. And it affords a lot of strength. This muscle right here is very, very, this collection of muscles is very, very important for grasp as well as fine pinch. The joint itself is what we call a double saddle joint. And I'll show that in a little bit more detail here. And these are the things that we commonly do that we need our thumb for. Um, I often liken the thumb and grasp of closing the deal. You know, you wrap your hand around a glass, but in order to really control it, it requires the base of the thumb or the thumb in general. But it allows us to turn a key, pick up a pin, um, collect a coin, and then this, this grasp. And it is thought that in combination with the small finger and the thumb, the muscles of the small finger and the thumb afford us this uh, precision of grasp and in evolution the ability to hit a target from a distance and one of the theories of why uh, humans uh, dominate the earth is because they could kill from a distance. So moving right along here, um, the, the thumb is unique because it has this almost universal joint-like mobility, the ability to put it in space, yet it requires a lot of strength in a very stable position. And this is probably why our thumb joint is so prone to arthritis. It has kind of paradoxic demands. It needs motion, yet it needs to be stable. It needs to be rigid in the position of function. And so pinch being one of them. This is, in my world, what we talk about when we're trying to figure out how the thumb moves. This is a research interest of mine. And these are all the muscles that are acting, pulling on the joint in opposite directions, kind of like a marionette to get the fine tuning done. So we call it a saddle joint. And you all know what a saddle looks like. And it's two, um, it's watching the, the X Games the other nights of the uh, snowboarders. And there was uh, the super pipe, is that thing that goes like this. And watching the snowboarders go up and down. And that's just how the thumb works. In one direction, it slides like this. And then there's kind of motion in this direction. So that's what affords effectively a universal joint or a ball joint. But it does it in kind of a sloppy way. And again, because we haven't totally figured out how this works, um, it's problematic and we don't yet have the answer for fixing arthritis but it's a great interest of mine. So um, these are this is these are bones. These are actually showing some of the ligament connections of the bones. In the wrist, how many people knew there were eight little bones? Yeah. And they're all connected like really tight springs. And if one goes out of whack, they all go out of whack effectively over time. So you can get arthritis throughout the joint because of an injury of one uh, bone, of one ligament connection. Um, but again, the thumb in this case is over here. And it's the post uh, to 
this part of the forearm. Well, one of the reasons we think women are more prone than men is there's a little bit smoothness to this trapezium. This is the saddle. It's kind of the accepting cup uh, more so than men. And the big bone that fits in it, the metacarpal, is bigger, relatively speaking. So there's more slop. And so there's more slop when you need stability. You need to hold it firm. It kind of shears. And so that sets up uh, forces we call forces that are abnormal and it shears eventually with time it wears down the cartilage not a nice smooth ball and socket like the hip is and <clears throat> what happens is you can get arthritis so you get wear and tear of this bone here and the thumb pulls in like this and if you're trying to get your thumb out to grasp something something then this knuckle here hyperextends which sets up a reciprocal deformity, which is bad. And this is like this lady over here, and I'm going to show you that it's pretty easy to do. This is me. I used to, I used to be kind of double-jointed, and I used to assume that position, and I've protected it over time by flexing to protect that knuckle. Um, but watch that to see if you hyperextend. The most common time that people do it is when they're writing or pinching something. And so that's a secondary problem, and, um, uh, but can be just as bad as the original problem of arthritis at the base. Well, what can you do if you have it? Um, there's the obvious, stop doing what aggravates it, but then there are activities of daily living which you can't really stop. So there are the, the activities that you can forego. Maybe it's um, playing an instrument or doing a hobby, but then there are the more important things that affect your daily life, and it's harder to do that. Um, there are adaptive tools. I'll show you a few. There's splints, and of course there's surgery, or I wouldn't be here. Um, and here's, a, here's you know, basically using levers and uh, friction devices that can help for opening. I'll show you a bit more in a minute. So here's me proving how much I hate modern day packaging. And this is, of course, I could take a pair of scissors, which are never handy, but opening coffee, and, and that puts an enormous amount of stress on your thumbs. Um, I really, really have a bone to pick with the packaging industry with those hermetically sealed electronics and um, every, potato chip bags. Remember saltines? You used to take the wax paper and do this. Well, you can't do that anymore. So for now, keep scissors handy because it's very stressful for your thumbs. Um, well, so if you think you have pain at the base of your thumb, which if you do, then you probably have some element of arthritis or predisposed to it, what can you do? Um, of course, you can come see me or my colleagues and a hand therapist, and there's also some things you can do before then. And um, so I'm going to explain briefly what a hand surgeon is. Um, if you don't know, it's typically someone who's completed medical school and then four to six years of surgical training of the most common, um, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, so that's, you know, spine and hips and knees and all those things. Um, sometimes it's general surgery and sometimes it's plastic surgery. And then we do an additional year of uh, training for hand surgery, hand and upper extremity. This, uh, Roz mentioned Dr. Chase, and that's Dr. Chase up there. He's, um, He's a young, in his ninth decade, uh, helping me teach a class last week. So we are indebted to him. And these are um, my colleagues at Stanford, uh, Rod Hens, um, Jeff Yao, and Jim Chang. Catherine Curtin is one of our new colleagues. And I'm afraid I don't have her picture here, so I apologize. So when do you need one? Um, well, when your activities of daily living, day-to-day -day stuff really bugs you, and especially when pain keeps you up at night, that's usually the tripping over, I think I really need to do something about my hand. So if you come see us at the hand clinic, um, just a simplified thing, we will um, talk to you, ask about your history, your medical history, have you fill out a form, not unlike any medical visit you've ever been to. Uh, we'll look at your hand. This is the classic test right here where I uh, push on the thumb and people go ow, and the, the uh, sensation um, of Rice Krispies, of crunchiness, that's a real classic sign of arthritis. Also of tendonitis, if you have a very inflamed tendon, it will have that kind of crispy sound because it's fluid. 
Um, we'll take an x-ray, and these are the classic stages we look for on an x-ray. So an x-ray looks at bones really well. It doesn't show you all the stuff that supports the bone. It doesn't show you the ligament. It doesn't show you the tendons. I'm going to walk through each one of them. This is a normal thumb. So I showed you, let's see, so it's my left thumb. This is the metacarpal. This is the trapezium, that major saddle bone. This is the scaphoid underneath. And for arthritis of any joint, whether it's your hip or your knee or whatever, we look for what we call joint space narrowing. This black space in between represents the cartilage. Cartilage is not mineralized and so doesn't show up on an x-ray. As, as you lose cartilage, this joint space narrows. And oftentimes, you'll get an increased bone density. Now note, most of the people who get osteoarthritis also are the ones at risk for osteoporosis, the decreased bone density. But when you have arthritis right around the joint, there is increased density. So there's a false increased bone density, even though these bones here may reflect osteoporosis. That may be a little confusing, but right around the joint, there is increased density because the body is trying to bolster and stiffen up that joint. So here's normal. There's nice, clear space between the bones. Here's what we call a stage two. These are, this is normal, but this person has symptoms, so we call that a stage one. Uh, stage two, where if you can imagine, there's decreased space and there's a little bit more whitening here. And stage three, there's significantly more joint space narrowing, and now this thumb has lost its space. The thumb has come in. You can see the metacarpal is going closer to the one on the index finger. Still pretty good space at this lower joint. And here's one that has significant advanced arthritis almost to the point of fusing, of auto-welding of the joint spaces, and much more of a white picture. So at a clinic visit, if someone presents with arthritis or symptoms here, we will typically prescribe therapy, and therapy may be no more than uh, learning some tricks about um, going about your day so it's more comfortable, um, as well as potentially being fitted for a splint, and I'll show you some of those. We don't offer injections typically the first time out unless someone has significant arthritis, and people may respond beautifully to a steroid injection and may not at all. So it's not something we like to give as the uh, panacea because it isn't. It may be something that may be helpful along the way. And typically we inject a steroid right into the joint under a little x-ray machine to make sure it's in the right spot. Um, for people who are very advanced and who've already gone through this splinting and keeps them up at night and are really miserable, then we offer surgery. I would say probably one in six to eight of patients who come to see me for thumb arthritis end up getting surgery scheduled the first visit because there's a lot to kind of go through uh, and maybe you can live with it. Uh, so a splint, uh, they come in different varieties. This is a ready-made splint that includes the thumb. So it makes the thumb less mobile but puts it at rest and therefore less functional. But if pain is the overriding problem, then that often makes it feel better. One of the complaints about wearing splints like this is you can't use your hand very well. So you find that you do a lot of raking with your fingers. Uh, but when you're really symptomatic, it's a nice thing to have. Now, again, I mentioned I'm mostly dwelling on thumb arthritis. But for people who have significant pain and arthritis, typically in this knuckle, we often offer the same, a simple splint that just puts it at rest. And these are different types of splint, very typical thumb splints, because the wrist is not encumbered in these splints, then they're a little bit more functional. And the ones on the bottom um, are neoprene, that's wetsuit material, and you can do more with them. I personally like those to start out with because it keeps the joint warm, it's a little bit of protection, and allows people to do a little bit more if they're not extraordinarily painful. So you can buy a lot of these off the shelf in drug stores, uh, sporting goods stores. 
But the people who really do the best job, and if you were to have a custom-made splint, it would be with a hand therapist. And a hand therapist is like a hand surgeon in that they've had some degree, which is either physical therapy or occupational therapy, for several years, and then they get additional training in uh, hand therapy. So they have, they're very uh, knowledgeable about um, activities of daily living, such as bathing, dressing, uh, personal hygiene, um, uh, cooking, cleaning, things that we take for granted until your, our hands hurt and uh, help us teach better ways to do them, help with adaptive devices, um, help make splints, and if you have surgery of any kind of the hand, then they administer that therapy. It may be working on range of motion or strengthening or getting swelling down. So a hand therapist is an absolutely vital part of a hand surgery practice. Um, for those of you who want to look at some of the adaptive devices and don't think you're quite ready to see a hand surgeon or a hand therapist, there is this company, it's actually local, but it's known around the world, called uh, North Coast Medical. I think at one point they were based in Salinas, but they're at uh, ncmedical.com. And they have pages and pages of things that, you know, help for jar opening or for grasping, for graspers for pulling up socks and um, just, just a great place. They have splints as well, um, but it is a website worth visiting. By the way, ADL is part of our lingo. It means activities of daily living. You may see that if you're doing any reading on the internet. <clears throat> so there's this kind of pliers thing. So it's a mechanical advantage to open the peanut butter. I love this one, the automatic card shuffler. Um, <laughs> and this one I was intriguing. It's a um, bag opener. Um, instead of, so you, you slit it across the top as opposed to using scissors. So you don't even have to use your thumbs at all, or very little. Well, if we together decide you might be a good candidate for surgery, what would be offered? And I'll talk briefly about these other knuckles as well as the thumb. These are some implants, these are silicone implants which are commonly used in the knuckles here for rheumatoid arthritis less commonly in these knuckles for osteoarthritis. And less commonly because silicone um, is not titanium or metal, the, the type of materials that are made in the more durable total hips and knees, and they do break down. And I'm sure you're aware of the uh, Dow Corning lawsuit with the breast implants uh, many years ago. And um, these can break down and cause a reaction of the joint. So we don't tend to use this type of joint uh, replacement very often for osteoarthritis because most people are pretty active and, and uh, have good strength in their hands. Um, what is, if we were to do any surgery at this knuckle, which if it's very painful, we tend to weld it. It's called a fusion. And we roughen up the bone surfaces and put pins across it for a period of time and nature figures out that the bone's going to heal to bone, treats it like a broken bone, basically. And so the end result is a stiff end of the finger. But it turns out, even though I can do this, it's not so important for everything that I do. Whereas having motion at this level is a lot more important as far as positioning and grasping. So these are kind of pictures of different implants that can be used. Well, for the thumb itself, we can also weld the thumb, and it provides a stable position for a pinch or a grasp, but it takes away that beautiful um, motion, that kind of universal joint motion. So traditionally, this was something we tended to do for men who were laborers who needed strength. And we've really gotten away from it, because if you have a choice between strength and mobility, most people choose mobility. Still an option, I do maybe one a year, um, but in general we do something that more reconstructs the joint, that maintains the motion at the base. So here's a variation on a theme. We almost always take out the trapezium, that little saddle, and put some sort of something in it as a pillow or a spacer. So that's the other big secret I've given you. That's the, there's many ways of doing it, but that's typically what we do. Okay, now I'm gonna show some surgery pictures. So if you think you're gonna be squeamish, look away. So, <laughs> so it's surgery. 
Uh, here is, I'm about to take out the bone. This is a right hand, and I've made an incision along the base of the thumb. And this is the bone I'm about to remove right here. That's the trapezium, trapezium, and it's trapezium because it's sort of trapezoidal shape. It's not, it's just a big, you know, it's like that super pipe in many directions. And it's always bigger than you think when you take it out and it has very stout attachments. So it's a challenge, you okay? Okay, <laughs> and here's the bone over here that's been removed. And here's the space. I got one more. And here's the bone removed, and what I've circled here is the cartilage that is completely worn away, and it's just like ivory bone, just highly polished. Uh, unfortunately, doesn't have the smooth cartilage anymore, but it's got this rough bone. Um, uh, cartilage has the texture of like coconut, and, and highly arthritic bone is just like marble. So this is effectively one of the procedures that we do where we borrow, we're all born with spare parts. We typically have two or three tendons that do the same function, which is good because I can use them as graft material to do something else. And here's a tendon that um, inserts, it finishes at the base of this finger, and I weave it around to reposition the thumb and use it as a pillow. And I literally make it like um, ribbon candy, kind of sew it together. There are many procedures, this is just one. So here's a really typical patient. This is a woman uh, that has both things. She's got the arthritis at the base of her thumb, so you see that big prominent knuckle here. And then she hyperextends at this knuckle here because she's trying to reach out and she just can't do it. So here is uh, before surgery. Here's uh, right at the end of surgery, so you see what you can see her wound. She also had a carpal tunnel release, so that's what this incision is. And for her, I actually welded this knuckle because it was so unstable going the wrong direction. Sometimes I'll just tighten it up and uh, change the position a little bit, but this one was so severe that I um, fused it, and so there's pins there that I'll take out in clinic in about six weeks afterwards. And uh, so that's what her x-ray looks like before. So you see the extensive arthritis here at both joints. See how much she hyperextends at this knuckle? That's not where it's supposed to be. It's meant to be bent. So that's the reason that I fused that knuckle. And that's what she looked like afterwards, where the knuckle's fused, and there's a space where I put a tendon in it. And that's what her hand looked like several months afterwards. And you can see that it's a, a more functional-looking hand than before. Um, I, I used for her, I used a tendon, well, just like that picture I showed here. So this was a tendon she already had? Right, and she, it was a spare part. So, so hold, hold your questions, but um, if it's really confusing, then go ahead and speak up. So after surgery, um, typically patients will have a cast for about um, four to six weeks. There was a six there, it got X'd out. Um, and then some sort of splinting like these removable splints, which almost everybody has before surgery anyway, just to try them out. Typically, we'll have them for activity, not all the time, but for about three months. They're doing something that they need. I often say, you know, wear it for social reasons so you don't have to shake someone's hand. They know that you've got that, that social band-aid on. Really vigorous activity. Most people, it's four to six months. It's a big deal. If anybody's had a total hip replacement and the recovery and you know it's slow and learning to walk and learning to strengthen, it is very similar. This is a big deal. Um, even though it's this tiny little bone, again, your thumbs are very important. Oh. So, uh, will you ever play golf, tennis? Will you do activities that you like to do? Um, typically, yes. We don't discourage anything. This is the type of surgery that is robust enough that it should um, uh, allow you to do those activities. You may have to modify them. We don't give you the joint that you started out with, um, but typically the pain relief is significant. And <laughs> I don't need surgery, but I know I'm prone to this. And this is my, when my thumbs act up, I'm left-handed. It's the command V on the Mac for paste that bothers me, or um, playing the piano and crossing over. and. 
Okay, so that's the practical hand surgeon arthritis, and I wanted to share with you some of the research that we're doing and what I'm fairly passionate about. I was supposed to submit an NIH grant tomorrow, and we decided to wait for the next deadline because it wasn't quite ready, which was good, <laughs> because I would have been a total panic tonight. But it's really looking at the base of this thumb, and I, and I really think this is one of the black boxes in musculoskeletal medicine is understanding really how this works and uh, devising better implants. You, you saw what we tend to do, we take the bone out and we put some sort of a pillow or leave it as a space. The one thing that that procedure does not do is restore the strength uh, that you started with. And you can imagine if we're putting all these forces across here and there's a space, then it doesn't have that stable platform when you need it. So. My, probably the, the last part of my career will be focusing on ways of better predicting, preventing, and treating thumb arthritis. And so these, uh, you know, if, if we get this grant, we'll be starting a study within the year. Um, but I do want to share you, I have a significant interest in imaging, um, in high resolution imaging, so beyond just the x-ray. And those are CT scans and MRIs, looking at them in different ways to learn more about our joints. And um, I work with a dentist, his name is Paul Brown, and he's done a lot with uh, teeth and the temporal mandibular joint. And the uh, nice corollary to the rest of the body is the base of the thumb. So that's, that's our interest. This is... Um, a CT scan, a CAT scan of a hand, and it's the same data, the same, you know, zeros and ones, uh, manipulated in a way to show you different images. So the one on the left is made to look like an x-ray, as if you just had an x-ray in the office. The one in the middle is meant to look like three-dimensional bones, like a skeleton. And the one on the right is looking at some of the tissue outside, the vessels, where we've injected the vessels with uh, some latex so it shows up. So this is kind of what's cool about digital age and, and sometimes it's way too much information but sometimes you can extract more information than you would normally see with a regular x-ray. And here is that exact same hand where we've made these pictures into a movie and I'm taking away the skin and I'm going to drive through the hand and fortuitously, this actually was a cadaver, this cadaver had a significant arthritis of the base of the thumb. So I'm just going to drive through. And, and, and how you might be able to tell is there's an overhang of this bone. And there's irregularity. It doesn't have nice smoothness like you see over here. So I'm kind of zooming in. And we see there's, see how that's joint, bone on bone? You really see this bone on bone with even cysts, which we see on x-ray, as opposed to a nice clear space here. And here's, uh, on the left, this is if you took a slice through here, like a bread slicer, and I'm looking at the wrist bones. And on the right is an MRI of the same hand. An MRI is superior for showing everything but the bone, the skin, the muscles, the nerves the fat, and this is a research scanner, so you see it exquisitely. So here's the arthritic thumb again. Again, you see that, that white on white. And here, here's the carpal tunnel. And anybody knows about carpal tunnel, all these tendons here. And here we see the bone of the metacarpal and the trapezium. You see actually what's left of the cartilage. It's the white space there. And so MRI does show us these things. And uh, the study that we're designing will be looking at CTs and MRIs in people and see if we can tease out some of these things before we see the changes on x-ray classically. Here's the same bones where we've made them into coloring book bones. And um, the coloring book of anatomy was very important to me in medical school, where you can kind of put brain to paper and colors. But I've taken all the bones away except for this trapezium and then just blown it up. And it's an arthritic bone. And rotating it around. And I'm going to add one by one the bones adjacent to it. And some of these surfaces are some of the other bones that it articulates. You get the sense it's a saddle. Flipping it around. 
sometimes feel like a kid with video games, you know. <laughs> so here's putting the metacarpal on and moving it around. And you see it's kind of collapsed. It's not sitting right where it should be. Again, an arthritic bone. Now we're adding some of the other bones around it. And when we have do this kind of special imaging, you get a much better sense of how the bones fit together. As surgeons, you know, we're taking out or we're looking indirectly and don't put them together like puzzle pieces, yet this is the best way to understand them. And that's really valuable when you can do this without taking things apart. And that's lastly adding the index finger bone. I'll just move along. So lastly, one of the fun things is a special MRI where we assign different colors and uh, create kind of Andy Warhol type images. But um, what's great about this imaging is it's telling us things about the bone um, that you do not see in x-ray. And we think that's going to be important in helping uh, diagnose early arthritis, if not preventing it in the future. So here's that same hand and side by side where I can see some of these things. I showed you the, the wearing of the um, cartilage. So you have bone on bone. And here's the same picture. And what, hard to see on the screen, but there's a color change of the metacarpal, which I'm pretty sure reflects breakdown of the collagen within the bone, which you don't see on x-ray, but it's a very important part of the bone in the deep part. And I think that's going to be one of our keys for learning about um, arthritis, early arthritis, and how to prevent it. Another thing we're doing is learning more about the motion. And this is uh, in our gait lab at Packard Hospital. The little stick figure on the left is effectively uh, this um, concept of grasping a cup. And then the one on the left was bringing it to the mouth like this. And we're learning more about the position of the hand in space, which is hard to do when you just look at a hand. But if you have all the coordinates and a computer is telling you where your thumb is in relation to your elbow, to your shoulder, to your head, then we can learn more about how we function on a daily basis. And again, here's, here's just the hand. It was actually that hand that you just saw with the little markers on it. And that's my hand doing a grasp and release with an x-ray. We don't normally, this is kind of a researchy type thing. We wouldn't have patients do this, but um, learning again more about, I can play it again. So my thumb moves around a little bit as it goes in and out of the uh, saddle to stabilize, to pick up that, in that case, a piece of tape. So um, again, my pet peeve of packaging, this is my eight-year-old trying to open edamame with the tape. And she's struggling terribly. And she's putting enormous stresses on her thumb, which she doesn't need. So um, I do hope we can change it. This is our six-foot-five resident. And I'm making him open this package that I got in a hotel, of these Q-tips. And he said, no, I normally just rip it with my teeth. I said, no, but I want you to do it the way you're supposed to do it. <laughs> so, so Consumer Reports is apparently onto this, that this is a bad thing. And every year they give out the Oyster Award. And it's the most cloistered packaging possible. And the two winners this past year were the uh, Oral-B Sonic toothbrush and a Bratz doll. So. <laughs> So on the horizon, I'm hoping that we are uh, going to be better about looking for markers for predicting disease. Markers mean some sort of blood marker or genetic marker or protein marker. And that's uh, an area of interest. It's not the tomorrow. It's more the, like the next decade. But we're moving towards it. Um, we are uh, wanting to test function uh, better, how we analyze where the hand is in space and how much force it takes to do a task. And uh, we also want to understand how our surgery works and what is better surgery than others. And as well as um, designing better implants. You know, it would be nice to come up with something better than nature's pillow that recreates that, that special saddle joint. So I'm going to stop here and entertain questions. Two things. Um, 
in general, exercise for arthritis is a good thing as long as it doesn't flare anything up. And that's because um, strengthening muscles about the joint, I like to give the analogy, it acts like a spring, it distracts the joint surfaces. You have more control of the joint if it has a strong base. And that is true of the thumb unless it flares it. And there are certain exercises that can absolutely flare uh, thumb arthritis because they get you in a position that's abnormal. So the exercises that I like to do that a therapist would show you are strengthening the little muscles in your fingers. They're not the gripper things that you buy in sporting goods stores. Those put an enormous amount of stress on the base of the thumb. Um, well, what works really well is putty. And putty, the more you squeeze it, the more it causes resistance. And it allows you to activate these tiny muscles here. And the best exercises for strengthening the thumb are you put putty in the palm and you effectively try to fold it in half. Not so much with the fingers, because those use tendons that go outside of the thumb. But uh, folding it in half activates these powerful little muscles. So strengthening, yes, if it doesn't cause too much pain. That's typically the reason people come to hand surgeons, because not sleeping is not a good thing. And it sounds like you need to come to the next um, uh, health library uh, event on sleep. Um, but for most people, injury and arthritis is most painful at night. And so wearing a splint is helpful. That's time at rest, and that's when the splints are most effective. Um, if you are able to take anti-inflammatories and that is appropriately prescribed by your doctor or hand surgeon, then taking them at night is typically more helpful. Um, Over-the-counter is fine, but you have to know whether you have any problem side effects such as stomach upset or uh, affecting blood pressure and all. Um, but splints is the mainstay of management for night. Probably. Is there anything you can do to prevent it? Probably not. Uh, again, this is the arthritis which is the most tolerated. Tends to be deforming, but the most tolerated. And it is, you know, the majority of us will get some element of arthritis in those digits over time. And a very small percentage are painful enough to actually have surgery. So, my mother too. Very impressively gnarled fingers, but they work really well. So cortisone is the most powerful anti-inflammatory. So you have um, Nuprin, Advil, Ibuprofen, Vioxx, all sorts of different anti-inflammatories which um, work in a pattern of inhibiting prostaglandins. The steroids, corticosteroids, are like a uh, extreme version of that, and they cause suppression of inflammation across the board. Now, when they're injected, typically into a tendon or a joint, they have essentially a local effect. They're not like systemic steroids that causes you to swell and have other issues. Um, they may work because they suppress the inflammation. Uh, people have varied responses. Sometimes it seems almost curative because you've broken up a vicious cycle and you've suppressed that reaction. Some people have, it works for about six weeks, which is the duration of the medicine, but then it wears off. Some people it absolutely has no effect whatsoever because either the arthritis is too advanced or there's so much inflammation that it just doesn't touch it. So it's quite variable. When people respond beautifully, it's great. If they don't respond at all, we hardly ever offer another injection because it doesn't make any sense. I sure hope so, or I wouldn't do surgery. Um, uh, but it's not immediate, you know. I mean, there's there's a lot of recovery that goes along with it. It's it's correct. You have post-surgical pain, and we've altered the position and the mechanics of the thumb. But far and away, pain relief is why we do this procedure the way we do it because pain relief is so significant.
the procedures we do tend to retain mobility. What they don't do is restore the strength because we haven't really figured out a way to every time you position the joint you have a nice stable platform. And so, but pain relief is the, the predictable expectation from surgery. Because they're all assaults, and salts, as we know, tends to elevate blood pressure because of water retention. I think they all have that potential. Now, the non-anti-inflammatory pain relievers, such as Tylenol, probably have less of an effect on blood pressure, but they are not anti-inflammatory. Now, just one little thing about anti-inflammatory medication. Like Aleve, in, taken in larger doses than are over-the-counter, they are truly anti-inflammatory. And when you take them the one, you know, once a day or when you feel pain, it never reaches the blood level that suppresses inflammation, but it has the analgesic. It has the pain relief like Tylenol. So if you're really going to use it for anti-inflammatory purposes, what I will often tell patients is try something like, I tend to say Aleve or its variation, it's naproxen sodium, um, and to double the dose of the over-the-counter and then you'll get the prescription strength. Um, Motrin or Advil or Nuprin or whatever, well, ibuprofen, if you buy it at Costco. Um, ibuprofen um, that comes in 400 milligrams, and the pharmaceutical dose is 800 milligrams three times a day. Oh, excuse me, it comes in 200 milligrams. So you'd have to take four of those three times a day to get prescription dose. And that's pretty hard on anybody's stomach, let alone remembering all those pills. So in general, I tend to say if you're going to try it and you can tolerate Aleve, um, that's the simpler one to do. If I take two Aleve, I get a terrible stomach ache. So everybody's different about what they can and cannot tolerate. Not really, uh, but again, it responds to splinting. And putting it at rest often is enough to settle things down with a splint. They sell it at North Coast Medical. Um, it comes in different uh, thicknesses. There are some squeeze balls that you can buy. Um, like office supply stores have them sometimes, uh, sporting goods stores that are little sandbags. The sandbags work pretty well. What you want to make sure that the question is about putty and how can you get it, is that it's not too um, resistant. You want it to be very forgiving, like silly putty. I mean, those are the, the ones that they, they kind of melt in your hand. Studies have shown it either works or it doesn't. And <laughs> the only way to find out is to try it. And it, it, on one sense, it's hard to believe that it makes a difference. And glucosamine and chondroitin sulfate are the building blocks of cartilage. And they're also what you find in arthritic joints if you take the fluid out, because the, the cartilage has begun to break down. But you know, horse trainers swear by it. And it, it doesn't really make sense that if you ingest it, that it would somehow get into your joint fluid. But studies say, show that it works for some people significantly and others not at all. If it works, it's expensive. So all of these, and there's other, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like the natural things. Turmeric is a natural occurring spice, or I guess it's a spice, and it's used in Indian food a lot. You can buy it over the counter in pills. Uh, dark chocolate, yes. Um, <laughs> has bioflavonoids. These are all building blocks of prostaglandins and anti-inflammatories. So if they work, great. Vicodin is a narcotic, it requires a prescription, requires a doctor to uh, uh, administer for the right reasons and you don't want to be on it um, every day because it is addictive. However, extreme pain narcotics may be appropriate and that's under a doctor's guidance. The DMSO is an agent actually veterinarians use a lot, it's a powerful anti-inflammatory, it smells and you taste like garlic. Um, it, it's, and you can buy it but um, the topicals that might be of benefit are and easier to get are something like the pepper creams. 
um, or the, um, the hot cold, the icy hot. Uh, the one I like is BioFreeze because it doesn't smell. Um, but those, what those do, it's, it's, uh, it kind of overwhelms the pain fibers to kind of calm down. That's, that's a counter irritant, exactly. And capsaicin is the pepper cream. It's thought to uh, liberate something called substance P, which is part of pain mediation. So if you get all the substance P out, then it brings the pain level down. There is good advances in replacing the cartilage in small areas of complete defects in places like the knee, where they're bigger joints, where you can paste them and you can um, uh, stimulate the cells to regrow. The problem with that is that it assumes you have normal architecture. And when we're talking about thumb arthritis, you've already had a collapse of the architecture. And however, because we're working on the early prevention type thing, that is something that we think about down the road. If we can um, prevent the mechanics from going south and can do some of these, you know, predict, okay, this is the area that's going to have arthritis in six months if we don't do something now. That, that's a goal, but we're yeah, not close. Well, we can grow it in, in test tubes and cultures, but in, in the functioning human, we just don't know enough, and that's why there's such a focus that we want to know how this joint works. We can replace cartilage. It's not a problem, but is it functional, and does it prevent the disease? Um, does it, you know, prevent things down the road? That's what we don't know. Okay. It depends on what you want. Uh, what procedure I'm doing and what we dis what you and the anesthesiologist feel most comfortable with. I would say the vast majority get a block where their arm is asleep and you're breathing on your own, but have sedation. That's probably the majority of what happens. Sometimes I'll do them with a local anesthetic and a general anesthesia combination, but in general most people have a block. Okay, I'm ready. For more, please visit us at stanford.edu.